Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. As always, my name is Noble, and I'm joined here with my co-host, Wheeler. And before we get into this podcast today, breaking down Sanford and Texas A&M, Wheeler, this is a very special podcast. Do you know why? No. Why is it a very special podcast? Because this is the 100th episode of the Auburn Today podcast. (laughs) You know, I think we should have used the sound machine to clap, you know, the one that I got you for Christmas that you don't use anymore. But we can't because Noble wants to keep us in the Stone Age. Hey, to be fair, technical difficulties happen, but this podcast has grown. We are at 100 episodes, and that's a lot. And we have Medicare ads now. How awesome is that? Man, if you're 65, get your Medicare. I mean, that, that you know, it's, it's growth, and we, you know, we appreciate everyone listening to this podcast. I remember when we started this podcast, it was just kind of a... You know, let's just start a podcast and just start talking. And then people just started listening. People enjoyed what we had to say. And, you know, it's been a couple seasons going. And hopefully this will be the first winning season that Auburn has since the pod was birthed. So that's the hope for this season. Or maybe we can get an NIL deal to stop the podcast so that the team will be good again. And they can pay us to not podcast like we pay coaches to not coach. And I think that that would be the most ideal thing to happen. But. Regardless, that was just a, a kind of a, a fun, fun monument. But obviously, Auburn this past weekend beat Sanford 45 to 13. Pretty convincing win. A little sloppy in the first half, but like we talked about last week, we expected that. And really all offseason we talked about this Sanford game would start slow after, you know, all the happenings of going to Cal and getting back uh early Sunday morning. Um, but yeah, we'll just we'll just kind of jump in. We didn't really see a lot of Robbie Ashford. It seemed like the game plan was Let's have Peyton Thorne throw the ball as much as humanly possible. Give him red zone reps. Give him all kinds of reps just getting ready for that Texas A&M game. It really seemed like Hugh is doubling down on Peyton being the starter and Robbie kind of turning into that more Swiss Army knife kind of player. And I think it'll be the most interesting to see what Robbie's, you know, factoring is into this Texas A&M game because we'll really see – does Hugh have a role for him or is it going to be like, you know, the Joey Gatewood will have a role for him in 2019 where he just didn't really play. Uh, so I think that'll be a very interesting uh, kind of storyline to follow this Saturday, but we either give us your thoughts on Peyton Thorne, uh, his stat line, 24 for 32, 282 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, and then 123 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Give us your thoughts about Peyton Thorne's performance, what you were surprised about, and things that you think he could improve upon going into the college station. Yeah, I mean, I think Peyton Thorne proved exactly what we said Peyton Thorne was going to be. We literally said he's going to be a guy that completes about two-thirds of his passes. 
he's going to throw an interception. Okay, so in the Sanford game, he throws two. We don't count one of those, mm-hmm. I don't think. I mean, if it hits the receiver in the hands and he drops it, and then they intercept it off of that, that's not Peyton Thorne's fault. That That's on the receiver. Okay. okay, so he had the game that we expected him to have. The old, you know, he only had one passing touchdown. But, you know, he's a couple touchdowns, one pick, going to complete most of his passes. Now, it's frustrating to see. But but we said in the offseason, it's one of those things that when you look back through a season, you're like, wow, that was actually – he actually played pretty okay. But in the moment, you're like, this is so frustrating. I'm going to pull my hair out. Same thing during the game. While you're watching the game, you're like, this is so frustrating. At least he's running the ball well. Well, you look back, that's the stat line. So that's – I think that's what you're going to get out of Peyton Thorne. And I think that that's what we expected when we had him to transfer. You're not expecting him to go out there and win the Heisman Trophy. Like, that's just – that wasn't what he was at Michigan State. That wasn't what the expectation was. It, so it shouldn't be the expectation. Um I'm glad that they kind of stuck with him throughout and have just decided that we're going to ride with Peyton until Peyton shows that he can't be the guy anymore. Mm -hmm. I think it was really hard to have Robbie go out there for both. I didn't think it was fair for Robbie. I didn't think it was fair for Peyton because then Robbie, you know, if he is competing for a starting job later at Auburn or he decides to transfer after this season, he just has a lot of horrible tape out there of him getting stuffed and – getting delay of games, and it, it just throws the entire offense out of whack. Now, if you have certain packages where it's kind of like the play's called when he goes in the game and you can run it, fine. I think that we may see some of that. You know, there was all the hullabaloo about him lining up at receiver. I truly think that's just a package that we'll see against Texas a mm-hmm. And I, I would expect to see it in this game. Um, I would not be surprised if it's one of those weird packages where – you kind of split out a couple of offensive linemen and throw a screen pass, and the offensive linemen are, like, blocking like Mm -hmm. a receiver normally would on a screen pass. And, honestly, I could see a throwback to Peyton Thorne being something that's in the works just solely based off of how athletic Peyton Thorne is, kind of similar to what they did with Cam Newton and Cody Burns. A similar situation, obviously. To a much lesser extent. To a much lesser extent, but same situation where you have a quarterback that's enough of an athlete that he can run out into space and catch a pass, and you're not going to be shocked that he was able to go out and do that. Um, That was not from us watching practice, just so nobody, you know. If it happens, I think it's something that, you know, Jimbo could have cooked up in his mind, too. It's not like we have any inside viewing at practice that said that that was a formation. So don't take it as that. That was just me spitballing kind of ideas of what it could be used as. Um, But no, I mean, I thought that the offense was fine. I, a lot of people got down on the play calling and got really frustrated. I, I took this game. I thought they looked crisper than I thought they would. Yeah. I thought that they would look sluggish. I didn't think at any point they'd look bad or sluggish. I mean, I think that the offense, it, they paid a bunch of money for Sanford to come down here, and the reason you pay them a bunch of money is you can run whatever you want for the first couple of possessions, try to get out against a defense that doesn't know what you're about to do but is trying to stop you at a somewhat athletic level and see how it goes. It's a perfect practice. That's what you're doing. And then in the second quarter, they were like, okay, we need to score a couple points so we actually win the game. They go out, they score points. The game was never in question in my opinion. Um, I think that Shane Hooks, you know, he ended up redeeming himself later in the game. You got to catch that pass, though. If a ball hits you in the hands in the end zone, I mean, not even just 
if it touches your hands, you got to catch it. If it hits you in the number, there it is, hits you in the body. I if think, it yeah. hits you in the body, yeah. I mean, it's people say if it hits your hand, I mean, there are definitely situations where a ball will hit your hands and you should not catch it. There's never an excuse, especially if it's not like a screen pass where it's coming in too high. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think. Now, I will say the most concerning thing that I noticed against Sanford, and it might have just been a Sanford thing, and I'll be intrigued to get your opinion on this. They threw a lot of passes to the far side of the field, and it looked like it took forever because Peyton Thorne, I think, has a pretty good arm, but I don't think he has that NFL cannon where the ball can go across the field before a DB can make a break on it. And I would be concerned if he's making those same reads in this game and he tries to make those cross-field passes because I think they're going to get picked against a team like A&M. Yeah, well, I definitely agree with that. And I think we saw that a lot uh, in week one against UMass as well. There were a couple plays where you could tell he was just a little slow on the read and the receiver, you know, either made a contested catch or it got batted away, whatever. But those are the kind of – that's the big difference, you know. Like when you're playing, you know – Sanford might have DBs that can run, you know, a four, four, five, four, six, forty. It's not necessarily that that's going to be the big difference. It's more so play recognition and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, the five star at Texas A and M, he's going to be able to realize that he's going to make a play. But I do think that Thorne needs to be a little bit quicker in some of his reads. I also think, you know, you also have to help your guy out and maybe not run. You know, if you're on the right hash of the field, not run a five yard hook if a guy's playing three yards off of him. Yeah. Like, that's just not really putting your guy in a in a situation to win. And we know that Peyton Thorne isn't the guy that's going to be making, you know, a Tom Brady throw. No. So I definitely think that that is something to look at. I would like to see a little bit more back shoulder. I think Peyton Thorne, I actually do think that is one of the strengths of his game, is throwing those kind of back shoulder mm-hmm. comebacks where he knows where his receiver's going to be, especially with guys like Jay Fair or Javaris Johnson. It's a little tougher on guys who don't run, you know, the route the exact same way. But I do think that that is a good part of the offense. And I was very encouraged to see – I was more so encouraged to see Phil Montgomery's play calling – that he was giving Peyton so many reps. And I was almost – I was excited that when we are on the one-yard line, we threw it three times straight because we knew we can score if we want to, and it wasn't that. It wasn't the goal. And I, I enjoyed that it wasn't the goal to win the game. The goal was to get better. And they didn't care what it looked like. And I felt like a lot of the times, you know, Gus always used those kind of games as film games. So he would run trick plays. He would run all the, you know, razzle-dazzle so that when we go into SEC competition, they can't sell out against something because they're always expecting, you know, they know that the reverse is in the playbook. They know that the flea flickers in the playbook. Whereas Harson just kind of seemed like he would just throw the book at them and just blow them out so that the fans would be happy that we beat a team by 60. And and we're not saying that you, you're not coaching to win the game. Yes, obviously. But – you know that you can win the game without coaching like you're lining up against Texas A&M or Georgia. And it felt to me that the staff was perfectly fine with the score being 45 to 15 or 45 to 13 instead of 59 to 13. And they they were okay with leaving two touchdowns on the board to try things. And obviously they're not happy that Thorne threw a pick. Obviously they're trying to score, but they're not exactly calling the play that they know will score they're calling the play that they want to score in that moment and that was something that was encouraging to me was seeing Peyton Thorne and it was you know I I, there were a lot of people around me sitting you know there were a couple people behind me sitting and they were mad that we're throwing it on you know the two yard line and we could just run it 
But when you're playing against Texas A&M or Georgia and you – if it's like, you know, if they're stacking the box goal line defense, if you don't feel like you can run the ball in, you're going to have to throw it on the goal line and you want a quarterback that has thrown the ball in the goal line in the game. And you don't want the first time that he has a game rep running, you know, a passing concept on the goal line be in a massive moment. So I, I was I was happy to see Peyton Thorne – do that. Obviously, the defense played pretty well, forced some turnovers. And I mean, I thought the Sanford quarterback, I mean, he's put up good numbers. Like, I don't think he's just an absolute scrub. I think the defense played really well. Um, you know, they really, the only kind of times that they were really put in a bad position were when the special teams kind of gave Sanford the ball in the red zone with the muff punts. And obviously, that'll kind of transition to the next topic of our conversation with the injuries. Obviously, Keontae Scott will be out for an extended amount of time, which hurts the defense, but I think that it hurts – it might hurt the special teams more because I think when you look we, – we talked extensively all offseason about the DBs being a really deep unit. Obviously, Keontae Scott is one of the best players there. Donovan Kaufman is someone who I don't think has really received the credit that he deserves. Last year, he got to a role where he was not super dependable in the defense that we were running. He, so far this season, has been lights out. He has been one of the best performers, you know, on the defense. So, Kaufman's expected to be back from injury this week. I think that he will be able to pick up where Keontae left off. And then we get we got Caleb Wooden back. He was playing really well. Uh, I, I do think that the defensive back room will be fine because of how deep it is. J.D. Rhyme coming in as well for some more depth. But I think the special teams is concerning. You saw Javaris go back there, Jay Fair, both muffed a punt, and then they put Simpson back there. Weather, what are your thoughts on kind of that special teams unit and kind of what to think about, A, the punt returners, and B, kind of the impact of Keontae Scott's injury and some of the other guys that got a little banged up against Sanford? Well, first of all, the popular take right now, that is just, I mean, so ignorant, it hurts, is, well, why don't we just not put somebody back there? I'd rather them punt the ball 70 yards than us fumble the, muff the punt. Well, guys, there is someone on the roster that can catch a punt. Okay, Keontae Scott has not just championed this idea of catching punts, and he is the only one out of 120 guys that get paid money to go and play football who can catch a punt, okay? That's just the fact of life. There is someone on the roster that is dependable in catching punts. I thought when Jalen Simpson was a punt returner a couple years ago, he was actually really good at it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought that – I honestly think that the punt catch that he had was the hardest one of the entire night because the punter shanked it, and he had to go up into the middle of all of that traffic. 15 yards and catch a punt, yeah. And it's just a mob in there. And so – I thought that that was a super impressive catch. So if you think we don't have anybody that can do it, that's one of the more difficult punt catches you're ever going to see inside of a college football game. So I think Simpson, he'll be able to figure that out, or Jay Fair or Javaris. Um, you know, you wish that Brian Batty was able to catch punts mm-hmm. consistently just with how electric he's been in the kickoff return game. But clearly by the fact that he was not in the top, for punt returners, he struggles to catch points. Well, and I think that that's something that people don't really understand. I think I, I personally think catching a punt is the hardest thing to do on a football field. I think that if you take everyone's job, and you might be able to say, okay, throwing a sixty-yard just absolute dime is tougher, but whatever. But catching a punt is so difficult because you have so many guys running towards you trying to hit you. If you don't call a fair catch and you get hit by someone who's been running full speed for forty yards. It is going to hurt. 
catching and it's the actual act of catching the ball, even when no one's around you, is not easy. Plus, you have to know when to call a fair catch. If you're running forward 15 yards to catch it, it's a very difficult thing to do, which I think is just something you know, that should be said before we... Well, I think that the more reasonable thing, instead of saying, well, don't put anybody back there, if you truly don't have somebody that you feel like can consistently make the decision to fair catch or not fair catch and still catch the ball, just tell whoever's back there, call a fair catch as soon as the punt goes off, you're not going to get hit. All you have to do is focus on catching the ball. Mm -hmm. Okay, like, I'm fine with that where you're not sacrificing... Because off of the bounce, you can lose, like, 20 yards of field position. Yeah. And it's not like we have, like, a high-octane offense that 20 yards is just one play. Like, 20 yards is earned. And, I mean, it's tough. You you can't be giving up 20 yards off of bounced punts. Mm-hmm. But I do agree. I think if you need to, you can just say, hey, fair catch every single one of them. Catch it. We'll just take it wherever the punt lands. So that is that part. I think Keontae also plays a really big role on the defense mm-hmm. i do think that safety db room is kind of one of the more uh you know a lot more depth in that room i you're gonna need some injuries to come back though i yeah. mean to seriously have a chance and we'll get into kind of what we think the score prediction and stuff is i think i think to have a chance in this game you at least have to have one of either Donovan Kaufman or Nehemiah Pritchett back and honestly i think if you really want to have a good chance you need both I think that Jalen McLeod needs to play. Um, and so it, it they all kind of go together. So kind of transitioning into Texas A&M, what I saw is Texas A&M actually has a pretty good offensive line. Yeah, You watch the Miami game, the only way Miami was getting back there was by blitzing. Now, it was working. They were able to get back there. They were able to have a good number of sacks. They were able to get some pressure on Wagman. He wasn't having the best time when he was under duress. Now, he still had a heck of a game. I mean, he threw for 336 yards, two touchdowns, but he threw two picks, mm-hmm. and it was because of that pressure. Auburn is, you know, it's a rare matchup where we think we can put our guys on an island. Now, so far this season, Kalen Lee's shown that he is capable of being on an island. It's a step up in competition, though. Yeah. I'd feel a lot more comfortable seeing Nehemiah Pritchett out on an island than Kalen Lee solely because he's a true freshman. And they're going to pick on him. Yeah. Now, talent-wise, I think that eventually Kalen Lee is going to be, you know, it's going to be a cold take. You're going to look back. Because I think Kalen Lee is going to be one of those guys. He's here for three years. He becomes a Carlton Davis or something and becomes an elite NFL corner. Well, yeah, we have. I mean, we haven't seen a guy, a, a corner, have a better true fre- – I mean, we haven't seen a true freshman campaign like this since Carlton Davis in yeah. 2015. Where you're just like, okay, this guy – He's an he's, NFL guy. Yeah, he's NFL. He's He's just built different. He's first game. I mean, first game, UMass tried to pick on him, nothing. Cal, first, like, three plays, tried to go after him, not nothing. even close to getting anything. I mean, he's really good. And so – I would be intrigued to see if Pritchett's not 100% if Pritchett gets the start over Kalen Lee. Um, but that kind of goes back to same thing with Jalen McLeod. So Jalen McLeod, best pass rusher on the team. I don't think that that's necessarily an argument. I think he's far and away the best pass rusher on the team. If he's playing, you have one guy who could potentially make a serious impact rushing the passer. Honestly, though, if you only have one, that's a double team. I think we're going to have to bring blitzes on Saturday. I just don't see a situation where even I think Keldrick Fox had a really good, you know, freshman campaign. He's just not, he doesn't have that twitch quite yet or doesn't have the pass rush moves. You know, I'm not a defensive line coach, so I can't exactly tell you. 
but he's not getting back there as effectively as you would need to see somebody get back there to say, yep, we can count on him in an SEC game on the road to go back there and disrupt everything. So, all that being said, Kaufman's a really good pass rusher. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not often that you are talking about your nickel and saying, oh, we need him back for the pass rush. But in this game, you need him. You need him. You need Eugene Asante. Same thing. I think, you know, we're talking about pass rushers coming from the linebacker area, and that's what we had to do against Cal. That's what we're going to have to do against A&M, too. So, I don't think people – you know, people are going to get mad. It's going to be on Twitter. It's going to be the first drive of the game. They're not going to dial up blitzes. And you're going to say, well, why aren't the four getting back there? And it's like, well, that's just not what they're built to do. And so you just can't have the expectation going in that we're going to get pressure with four because it's just not going to happen. Yeah, and I think it's also important to note that if you look at other teams in the in college football, there are a lot of really good teams that blitz linebackers and blitz DBs. Auburn has just had the opportunity. They haven't had to because Auburn has had one of the best defensive lines in the country for the past 10, 15 years. So, yeah, if you can get pressure with four, you get pressure with four. That's ideal. But this DB group is probably better than any DB group Auburn's had in the past 15 years. So, yeah, you can trust DJ James to be one-on-one. You can trust Jalen Simpson to be one-on-one with something. You can trust your DBs to go one-on-one, and you can blitz a linebacker, or you can blitz one of your nickel. Like, you can do that. And I think that that is one of the most important things, is if we can put pressure on the quarterback – And also, I think the Evan Stewart, you know, I'll be interested to see how we try and contain Evan Stewart. You know, last year, I thought, I I remember watching him last year, and I was like, this guy is one of the best wide receivers I've ever seen. And I I think he will be a, you know, Justin Jefferson type guy. I mean, he is unbelievably good. Um, And I think it'll be interesting to see how we kind of treat him. Because, you know, Auburn defenses in the past, it's been kind of, the best goes on their best, you know, when, you know, you think Roger McCreary would always follow the best. Noah Ignogany would follow the best. Carlton Jamel would always follow the best. I'll be interested to see if we put DJ James to just follow Evan Stewart wherever he goes, or if we don't really love any specific guy and we're just like, yeah, wherever Evan Stewart lines up, we're fine putting DJ on him. We're fine putting Nehemiah on him, fine putting Kay and Lee on him. And I think that'll be a really interesting kind of decision that Ron Roberts has to make if he wants a guy to just match up on Evan Stewart or if he just wants the defense to be a base defense the whole time. Well, I will say, I think it would be a really tough assignment to expect Nehemiah to come back first game yeah. and play an elite receiver and be clamps while we rush the and blitz, just a madhouse blitz. Yeah, I don't think that they're going to do that. If they do that, that is a risky, risky move. Now, they see him every day in practice. Who knows? He might have been practicing – at a higher level than what everybody's yeah. been reporting. And then they just held him out against Sanford because it was one of those things that he you don't could want to be get hurt. Yeah, yeah. He could get hurt worse. He's not going to be a hundred percent all season, but maybe, you know, 90%, 85% Nehemiah is more trustworthy than Kalen Lee right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know though. I mean, Kalen's shown some really good stuff. I think though, that if I had to make a prediction, I'd say that they're going to do best on best. I think DJ James is going to follow, uh, Evan Stewart around for the entirety of the game. Um, and then I think a and going to try and get matchups where somehow they get Kalen Lee on Evan Stewart. If you yeah. see that, I think you can rest assured where the ball's going. Yeah. I mean, you can just watch pre-play. And if you're a safety, you got to know that too. You got to look at the play and say, who is the matchup right now? Okay. They're going to pick on this guy. This is about to be a deep ball going here. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if, 
you know, if me and you know this, obviously, the coaching staff has identified all this stuff. But I will be intrigued to see how they match it up. I think that I just feel like Ron is going to be the riverboat game more this weekend and is going to just have a bunch of exotic blitzes. Because I don't think that this is a team that you can sit back on. No, I think if you sit back and you let Evan Stewart have six seconds, I don't care if you have the greatest corner that has ever lit. I mean, at some point, elite receivers are just going to get open. Mm-hmm. It's hard to cover anyone for six seconds, much less someone who's elite. You're going to have to get some kind of pass rush, or they're just going to eat you alive in the passing game. Yeah, I completely agree. And I also think it's interesting to note, you know, Connor Weigman, yeah, like he started some last year. He is still a young quarterback. Like, he is still going to make young player mistakes, and I think that that is why you want to throw out those exotic blitzes because he's a guy that there are going to be blitzes that you can throw at him that he has never seen before. And I think that that will be the most interesting aspect is seeing how we can pressure him and make him uncomfortable in unique ways. Because I don't think we'll just be able to line up and just make him uncomfortable. I think he is a really good quarterback. But with any really good quarterback, there are ways that you can make him uncomfortable. And if you do something they've never seen before, they're going to default. And they're going to go, you know, he's just going to start throwing prayers to Evan Stewart and be like, let's see if my guy can get it. But if you have your best player on your defense on him and he's doing it like that, those are the those are the matchups that matter. And if Evan Stewart ends up with 65, 70 receiving yards, that's a win. That's a huge win. Yeah, like if you hold their best guy to an average day, you You're just happy. don't want to have Penn State game where Jahad Dodson yeah. went just madman. I agree. But I will say, even with Dodson going madman, they honestly game. Yeah. Yeah, they, they held him out of the end zone. So it's like, same thing. If you're able to do bend, don't break, which is kind of the style we've seen out of this defense, and you feel like you've got a great matchup down in the red zone, I could see him. I don't think necessarily that you say if we don't stop Evan Stewart that you lose the game. I agree. I think if you don't get a pass rush, you lose the game. Yeah. Because Weigman's going to tear you up. If he if he just sits there being comfortable, yeah. he'll, he'll rip you to shreds. He'll rip you to shreds. So I don't think it's necessarily any of the A&M receivers that you're like, okay, if this guy has a big day, it's over. It's the Texas A&M offensive line. I agree. Well, so kind of moving into that, let's talk about matchups. Who is one guy on offense and one guy on defense that you think – a, you know, e- either he he has to play well for Auburn to win or just a guy that you think he has a big day coming and that he's really going to, you know, put the world on notice this Saturday in College Station. I think that Jay Fair is a guy on offense. We got to start looking. Every team that doesn't have a number one receiver is not a very good team. Mm. I think that Jimbo and the way that his team is, I think that they're going to really try and shut down Rivaldo Fairweather because I think so far this season, in the crunch times, we've always gone to Rivaldo. Yeah. I think you got to have a receiver. You can't just have a tight end. You know, I mean, you even look at the Chiefs. I mean, Travis Kelsey can't do it alone. They have to have that number one receiver. And when they had Tyreek Hill and they had a guy out on the perimeter, Travis Kelsey was having his way. Mm -hmm. If you have an elite receiver and the safety has to actually pay attention to one of your receivers who's doing damage, then that makes it wide open for the tight end. I think if you can key in everything on a tight end, you can shut a tight end down Mm -hmm. more effectively. So I'm going to say Jay Fair. um, I think Javaris Johnson could also, you know, be interchangeable there. I don't know. I just feel like Jay has been like so close on so many plays and hasn't quite gotten there. 
I think somebody else who's going to – I'm not going to say they're going to be a top-end receiver, but somebody that can make a big impact is Amari Kelly. Mm-hmm. I think that every time he's gotten on the field, he's actually made some pretty big, pretty important plays. He's getting open. He hasn't dropped any passes. I think that those are guys that you look to as making a difference. I also think Shane Hooks. Mm-hmm. Shane, there's something going on there. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if Shane just doesn't understand the effort you have to give in the SEC. I don't know if he doesn't run his routes very crisp. I don't know. You know, he's known as a possession guy. It's a tough look to be the possession guy and the ball hits you in the chest in the end zone and you drop it mm-hmm. and nobody touches you. You know, he's got to step up. He do- I don't think – I just – from what I've seen, I don't think that he has the capability this season to be that guy. I don't think that he – runs crisp enough routes. I don't think that he has the effort, and I don't think that that's something you can learn. You know, I mean, you either have it or you don't. You either have the motor to go on every single play or you don't. And I think that Jay Fair and Javaris Johnson have shown way more that, hey, we're going to have the motor on all these plays. I think Amari Kelly, same thing. I'm going to have the motor. It's not a thing where you're always hearing, well, he wasn't, you know, he quit on the route or he didn't, you know, show the route very well because he knew that the ball wasn't coming to him. Big time receivers just don't do that. You don't. You don't have anybody in the NFL who's a number one receiver who you're like, well, he takes plays off because mm-hmm. it just doesn't happen. People defenses are too smart these days, and they can watch your body language too much. And I mean, he reminds me honestly of Duke Williams, very similar situation. Possession guy can go get the hard catch, but if it's not going to him, effort's going to be pretty poor. I mean, you're going to see it. He just doesn't look that fast when he's running his routes. And so hopefully his career at Auburn doesn't end like Duke Williams. But I just see these this correlation. I think the only big difference is, you know, he doesn't have a cool name like Duke where the whole crowd goes, Duke, when he catches. Because Duke didn't do that much. I mean, relatively, like actual numbers as like an actual receiver – like, Auburn fans are like, oh, Duke Williams was a dog. Well, go look at his numbers. Like, if he was at Alabama or he was at Georgia, like, he's their third receiver. As far as even the numbers, not even, like, actual talent-wise. Because he wouldn't play at Alabama or Georgia. And so, it's one of those things of, like, okay, you're going to have to step up that level of leadership, that effort, that crispness of route, if you're going to be an SEC player. Because it's a different level up here. Yeah, I, I I agree with I agree with a lot of that, and I think I think with me, I think Rivaldo Fairweather. Uh, I like the, the what you mentioned with him. It seems like he is the guy that when the going gets tough, we go to him. I think that that won't change. I think that if Peyton Thorne is uncomfortable, we're gonna try. We're gonna draw up some seam routes for Fairweather. Uh, ideally, you know, you saw against Sanford, he didn't have that safety on him, and we were able to go deep with him. He was able to go up and get it. That was huge. Uh, against Cal, the safety was on him, you know? Uh, so I think that that'll be an interesting, kind of an interesting dynamic. And I think Rivaldo right now is the guy to get you out of a bind. And every every offense has it. Sometimes it'll be your running back. Sometimes it'll be a tight end. Sometimes it'll be a receiver. Uh, you know, Nick Marshall, it was always Sammy Coates. You know, if, if we're in a bind, we're going to Sammy. We're either going to run him deep or we might just run a tunnel screen, get him the ball, get out of the way. So I think that Rivaldo is going to need to have a big game. I agree with you that Jimbo will key on him. I don't know how much he will key on him, though. And I think that that'll be an interesting thing to note if they feel comfortable playing just a normal defense and, you know, trying to make Peyton Thorne uncomfortable. Because, you know, on the flip side, we're talking about making Weigman uncomfortable. 
after watching that Cal game, any defense is going to watch Peyton Thorne and be like, oh, if we get this guy uncomfortable, it's over. Yeah. So I think that 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 Peyton Thorne has to play well. That's a given. I think Rivaldo Fairweather is going to be a vessel for Peyton Thorne playing well. And this could be a cold take. I don't see a scenario where Peyton Thorne plays well, Auburn wins this game, and Fairweather doesn't have a big impact in one way or the other. I think that he's going to have to have some and it might it might just be one catch it might just be a big time first down but i think that there's going to be a definitive moment that rivaldo fairweather is going to have to make a big play and obviously i think jay fair javaris johnson omari kelly like those guys are all going to have to show up as any wide receiver will and really the running backs too i think this this is a huge game for jarquez like jarquez hasn't done anything of note in the past and he's hurt games. Now. yeah so i think that this is the kind of game where it's like you know you're the are you the starter? You know, is this the game where a starting running back really gets decided? Because if Jarquez, you know, obviously we've seen Jarquez the past two years. Damari has played better the past two games. And you can, I would say Jeremiah Cobb has. I agree. And you can attest you can attest that obviously Jarquez is probably rusty. We've talked about that. He wasn't with the team for a long amount of time. But at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. If Damari and Jeremiah Cobb are the two best running backs right now, it doesn't matter that Jarquez is rusty. You play Damari and you know Jeremiah Cobb. So I think that this this will be a game where that's decided. If Damari gets the majority of the carries and Jarquez gets like eight, you know, eight or nine carries and is averaging four yards a carry, and then Cobb and uh, Damari are averaging six, you're going to go to those guys. And I don't think you're really thinking twice about it. So I think that this game is really big for the running backs in general, just as to who are you going to look to to be the guy. And I also think it'll be interesting – is this going to be a game that we still give a bunch of guys carries? Because I mean, it felt you know it felt like against Sanford we didn't really have a starting running back. We had a bunch of guys getting carries. I don't know if you can really do that in the SEC because I think to some extent you have to have a rhythm. Someone has to get, and you've seen you know those Alabama teams in years past. They would always have you know a ton of guys that got carries, but late in the game. They're always leaning on Najee Harris or or Bo Scarborough, you know, Damian Harris, those kind of guys. And even though there were people getting carries throughout the game, when the going got tough, we knew who was going to be back there. And I don't think Auburn knows that right now. I don't think Auburn knows what running back they're giving the ball to when they need something. Which Jarquez did have the highest average rushing yards in the Sanford game. How many carries? Well, he had 11 carries for 37 yards, which, I mean – 3.4 3.4 yards per carry, though. I mean, well, yeah, but I mean, you had 3.1 from Damari. You had uh, 0.8 from Jeremiah. Now, I want to say that Jeremiah had a big time run. They got called back for a penalty. Uh, maybe I'm remembering that wrong, or maybe he got a catch. I'm going to go and look at the catching uh, or the receiving stats to see because I feel like he had some kind of play. Okay, yeah, he had 18 yards receiving on two catches. So that's what we were thinking of yeah. because I think those, like, they did, like, those pop pass things yeah. where it's, like, technically a pass. But it's a run play. So that's what it, that's what we were remembering. Yeah. So if you just look at the rushing stats, you're like, okay, maybe not. Um, so, yeah, Cobb had 18 yards receiving. Um, Jarquez, you know, 11 carries, 37. I, I just didn't think that there was much imagination to the running game. I didn't think that it was – I think it was intended to not be. No, I agree with and that. And so I think it's tough to look there, but I agree with you just the eye test of watching Jarquez run. And going back to that Cal game, you've got Jarquez at 4.8 per. He had 11 carries, and honestly, so that's back-to-back games. that He has 11 carries, Damari has eight carries, and Jeremiah has three carries. So you have the same number of carries in Cal and Sanford. Now, 
Both of those were weird games. Okay. Cal, weird game because you had 55 plays and you were behind most of the night, mm. so you're not running the ball a ton. And you still, I mean, out of those, I mean, if you've got your running backs carrying the ball 21 times out of 55 plays, like, that's a pretty balanced attack. Yeah. And then Sanford, I mean, you're just slinging the ball around because you're trying to get something started in the passing game. And then he's suspended for UMass, so you can't look at what he would have done against UMass. I agree, though. I think just eye test-wise, you can make excuses. But at the end of the day, when you get into SEC play, nobody cares what you did last year. Nobody cares that you can squat more than anybody. Nobody cares that you might be a leader on the team. You can be all of those things and just not be the guy this week. And guess what? The thing is, if you're not that guy this week, you might be against Georgia. You might be against LSU, Ole Miss, Miss like just because it's the Texas A&M game and Damari gets the bulk of the carries doesn't mean that for the rest of the year Jarquez needs to mail it in that he's not going to play anymore. Yeah. But I'm with you. If he's banged up and he's still rusty, like I don't see how you can say that he is better hurt and not practicing than Damari and Jeremiah are at their, you know, whatever full strength is at four yeah. games in as a running back. I mean, everybody's a little bit banged up, but not visibly limping off the field. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I'm not saying and I'm not saying that Jarquez isn't going to play. I'm not saying that Jarquez shouldn't play, but I am saying based off the eye test, I don't think that there are many Auburn fans that would say that Jarquez has put on a better campaign than Damari this season. No. And I think that that matters. I think that we we talked about Damari being a really good back. Damari's a really good back. And I think that Damari could be a better option, at least against Texas A&M, until we see a Jarquez. And, and you know, I'm not – obviously, I love Jarquez. I'm not hating on Jarquez. But last season, there was always – you know, there's always been the debate the past two seasons, oh, is Jarquez better than Tank? And I have always vehemently said no, because when, when the offensive line is not getting a push, Jarquez does not play well. Jarquez has had very few games where he looked really good against a team that was shutting down the run. Tank would have those kind of things. And if, you know, if there were wide open holes, Tank would have some games where he was great. He'd have some games where Jarquez looked like he was getting better because Jarquez hits a hole hard and he goes. Tank was always, if you needed someone to fight for three yards every single play, Tank was your guy. And you weren't thinking, oh, we should have Jarquez because Jarquez would be get stuffed a lot more. Tank wouldn't. And I see that a little bit more in Damari. That Damari's the kind of guy where if the off, if the offensive line isn't giving, you, isn't giving you a push and you need a running back to make plays, I think Damari or Jeremiah Cobb fit that mold more. Now, if the offensive line's getting a great push, yeah, put the guy – that's not getting tackled for a stride. Put the guy that's, you know, lightning fast. Put Jarquez back there. But I do think that this that the running back room is interesting, and Auburn needs to establish the run. Auburn has not been able to establish the run really at all this season. I mean, UMass, you know, whatever, but who cares about UMass? Cal, they weren't able to establish really anything on offense. And Sanford, they prioritized the pass. Auburn needs to have the running game be utilized. We talked about the receivers. We talked about the tight ends. We talked about the quarterbacks. The running backs are still the best group on offense. You know, whether Jarquez is rusty, whether people are fumbling, like they need to clean up turnovers, obviously, but the running back room is still the best position group on offense. And I would probably say the second best position group on the team. They need to have the ball in their hands. And if you can't establish the run, you got to, you know, throw it to Jim Rye, throw it to Damari, get get your running backs involved, because I think that that is where the bulk of your offense is going to come against these elite teams.
And the weird thing is, I thought they got a better push on the offensive line against Cal than they did against Sanford. Yeah. And the other thing, everybody was saying, why aren't we running the ball up the middle, down on the goal line? They got stuffed multiple times on, like, third and ones. This offensive line is not a great short yardage offensive line. They're just not. They hadn't gotten a push against anybody Mm -hmm. on third and one, third and two. If it's third and one, third and two, I'm throwing a slant this week. This offensive line has not shown any kind of ability to get any kind of push where in a short yardage you can get through. Every time we have to do a short yardage, I feel like it turns into a pass because they know. And the offensive line gets a push on like first and 10. I don't understand how they can get a push on first and 10. I don't know if they can't get down. And I think another thing to look at is who's playing on the offensive Mm -hmm. line. I think that, uh, oh, goodness, I can't think of his Cam Stutz. I wanted to call him by his Instagram name instead. Um, anyway, Cam Stutz, he's injured. Yeah. I mean, anybody that went to the Sanford game, the man, literally, his right leg was five times bigger than his left. It looked like he had on some kind of, like, ankle brace that had been taped up over. I mean, he had bionic leg. Mm-hmm. Gave it a go for a couple plays. Couldn't go. You know, can he go? Can he play well? Can he get a push? Can he move? Can he be? Can he pull and actually run down the line? These are important questions. Yeah. Now we were playing a whole bunch of offensive linemen early in the year, thinking that it was going to be a versatile thing. And even in the pregame lineups, you had a different offensive line than what actually played. So I'll be intrigued to see who plays on that offensive line and how they're able to gel together because it may or may not be that same offensive line because we don't know if Cam Stutz is going to be able to go. Yeah, I mean, you would assume that he probably will just because he's an offensive lineman and offensive linemen like always go, especially in a game like Texas A&M. But you know, like at some point, if he's just injured, he can't play injured sometimes. And so that's yeah, something to look at. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I'd be a little surprised if Cam Stutz was just not playing. You know, I, I think if he's just not playing, he's obviously hurt. There are very few offensive linemen that are just going to be like, no, nah, I can't make it. like they're going to they're the type of guys that are going to play. And then the coach pulls them out because they're not good enough because they're hurt. Yeah. Um, but obviously we saw Jaden Muskrat a lot. Uh, the Tulsa transfer. Xavion Miller went down. Uh, I I think they'll probably move Gunner. If Xavion Miller is not able to play right tackle, they'll move Gunner Britton to right tackle, put in Jeremiah Wright, maybe have Wright and Muskrat. Uh, as your two guards and then keep your your tackles um, and your center. But I, I think that there's not a tremendous drop-off in talent in that group. It is a drop-off in how much they've played together. And it almost – you're going back to – I'd say week one and a half because, you know, you still have Dylan Wade who's been play- – he's played just about every snap at left tackle. You still have Gunnar Britton who's been playing j- – he's been shuffling throughout the whole offensive line, but he's been in most of the time. And Avery Jones obviously been the center of the whole season. But I do think that the gelling will be different, but I think that the talent isn't necessarily terribly bad, which is encouraging. And, you know, that's something we talked about in the offseason – there have not been many years in recent Auburn memory that if we have two offensive linemen questionable, we're more so like, well, if their backups play, it'll be more of a problem of chemistry than talent. Yeah, And that is encouraging, but obviously I do agree with you. I think that the short yard situation has been concerning. I do think that the pass blocking has been very good though. Yeah, I think that the pat the only time that the pass blocking has been a problem is if they bring a blitz and someone doesn't pick it up, whether it be the quarterback or the center, or you know it's something exotic. And obviously, you, you can't have that, but it's not just guys just getting whooped. Well, yes, 
but we, that's what chemistry is. Yes, and exactly. so that's just going to be worse. And I mean, you we did have a couple against Cal. Azavian Miller had a tough game. He did. He had a, he had a tough game in pass pro, um, and then. You know, that goes back to the exotic blitzes. So Peyton Thorne may be able to identify those, but, you know, exotic blitzes, if the offensive line doesn't pick up what's going on, because Peyton can't stand there and say, look, this defensive end is going to twist on this. Mm -hmm. You need to stay home. And that's what happened last year. Think about the Georgia game. I mean, but they weren't even exotic blitzes. I don't even know what was happening in the Georgia. I mean, our guy was literally sliding out of the way to let him through. Like he didn't like the quarterback. Um, So... I don't know. We'll see. I'm excited to see who's playing. Um, I'm glad that this is an 11 o'clock kick. I think that that super helps Auburn Mm -hmm. Um, because I think Auburn definitely – I think Auburn will have an edge about this thing. I think that all week being the underdog – I think going on the road at 11 o'clock being an underdog gives you an edge that the other team, it's for the exact same reasons, it's going to be tough for them to get up and get ready Mm -hmm. You know, I think Jimbo's going to try his best to emphasize, you know, nobody believes in y'all after the Miami game. But at the end of the day, it's what does your team actually think about it? You know, everybody thinks Auburn doesn't – I don't want to say doesn't have a chance. But, I mean, if you – I bet on game day, no one's going to pick Auburn. Yeah. Um, And, I mean, A&M is a fairly comfortable favorite. I mean, they're probably a touchdown. Eight point. Yeah. A little bit over a touchdown uh, favorite. So more than a touchdown indicates that Vegas is really thinking it's probably going to be like a 10-point situation yeah. um, in real college football numbers. So, I, I mean, and I don't know that I have that much confidence. I mean, to be completely truthful about where I stand with this football team, I think the team's going to continue to get better. I think that the coaches are doing a good job. I mean, I haven't seen anything that makes me lack confidence that Auburn is on the right path to get somewhere, but just because you're on the right path doesn't mean you win. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's a lot of unknowns as far as injuries. And I think that, you know, everybody says you just got to get the offense running. Well, I mean, the offense hasn't really looked great any of the weeks. Mm-hmm. And so I'm concerned. I'm concerned they're not going to be able to score. I think the defense will be able to hold A&M under 30 points, specifically if the game is close. I withhold that. It it could end up like the Penn State game last year where if the offense just isn't doing anything and the defense is out there all game, they could give up more than 30. I think in a close football game, they hold them under 30, and it's just going to be a matter of if the offense can do anything. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know that they can. I I hope we score into the 20s. I really do but I, I don't have a lot of confidence that we hit the 20 mark. I could see us getting 17, 10, 13. I just I have a hard time seeing this offense move the ball against an SEC competition right now. And and I think that those are some – I think that those are some fair, you know, concerns. I do th- – I, I keep going back to, you know, Auburn kind of history, you know. 20 – I think this – 2017, it reminds it, – it's a lot. You know, I, I think about the 2017 team a lot. There's less NFL talent on this team. I don't know if I'd say – I'd say NFL talent in different areas. But yeah. overall, there is less NFL talent. But that 2017 team, you know, week one – I can't even remember who they – I think it was maybe – may have been Georgia Southern. Jarrett Stenham didn't really look that good. He looked meh, looked average. You know, transfer quarterback that had a decent amount of hype. They go into Clemson. They get absolutely destroyed. The offense can't do anything. I think it was 14-6. to six. The defense looked great, though. Um and then they went back, played Mercer, lost 
or they won 24 to 10. It was an ugly, ugly game. Then the very next week, they go to Missouri, blow them out. A week after that, they come back to Auburn, play a ranked Mississippi State team, blow them out. And then that team really just started hitting its stride. But if you had told me after that Clemson game or after that Mercer game, hey, this team's going to win the West and beat two number one teams, I'd have said you're crazy. And I think you look back at that 2013 team, after that team went into Baton Rouge and lost by two touchdowns, and you said, hey, this team's playing for a national championship and they'll win the SEC, you would have said, no, you're crazy. Um, so I think that that's something to you know keep in mind. This Auburn team has not looked incredible in the first three weeks, but they are three and zero, and that's better than some better Auburn teams can say. Yeah, you know. So I do think that if Auburn wins, it's very encouraging, very encouraging. Yes. I'd say I'd be extremely encouraged if Auburn wins. If Auburn loses, I'm not slapping the panic button. This is a game that for the whole offseason I've I've expected to lose. And I don't think Texas A&M is all that great, but I think that it's a tough it's a tough situation to put Auburn in and expect to win. I don't think that the season's over if Auburn loses this game. I don't think the season's over if Auburn loses three straight. If Auburn loses the next three to Texas A&M, Georgia, and LSU, I think we don't play another team that's the same quality as three these three teams for the rest of the season. No. So I, I think that this game, I don't know if I should feel good about it, if I should feel bad about it. What I do know is, if Auburn loses this game, I am not yelling. I'm not hitting the panic button. It, you got to take it week by week. And I want to see – obviously, you want to see a win. If you see a loss, you want to see flashes. Yeah. And I think that's really what you're looking for in this game. If you're going to lose, you want flashes of good football. Yeah, and I think, like you said, if you lose the next three, I'm not going to view this team any differently than I do sitting here right now. If we're going into Ole Miss week three and three. Mm-hmm. Like, I almost view this team as a 500 team right now, even though they're undefeated. Yeah. So I'm just waiting on that other shoe to drop and then the season to kick back off with the Mississippi schools. Mm -hmm. Because I think Ole Miss is ranked 15. I think that that's a TV number. I think that that's a number to, you know. They're a very beatable team. Yeah, they're they're trying to pump up Alabama Ole Miss. They're Mm -hmm. trying to prop up, you know, come and watch this game. Ole Miss is not the 15th best team in the country. I agree. They're just – they're not that great this year. And Auburn, honestly, it matches up pretty well with them. So, Ole Miss, not to mention, that's going to be a spicy game with Hugh and yeah. Lane. Like, a lot of things going to be going on. Yeah, that's going to be hair. that's going to be a super fun game, and it's going to be a big-time game, whether you've won two out of the three, one out of the three, or none out of the three. Mm-hmm. So, that's where I would say the second half of the season, Ole Miss is where it really starts up the expectation. Yeah. You, you need to win that one. That's where I think you start getting into if we're losing now, people are going to get a little mad. Yeah. Now, I think you could lose the next four games and then win out other than Alabama, and people are going to be satisfied. That's that's about where I think the team is. Yeah. I mean, maybe you know, you could even transfer an old miss loss for a uh Arkansas win or an Arkansas loss for an old miss win somewhere in there. But that's kind of where I see the team going. I see them, you know, at four, five, six. Six, six to seven wins this season. That's where I have them. That's where I had them before the season. That's where I had them after UMass. I'm not going to be – I mean, I'm going to be disappointed in the fact that Auburn has had yet another year of mm-hmm. mediocre football, but I don't think that you could look at – there was no possible way to make this team not mediocre football. Yeah. I think that the only possible way you could have done it, and I don't think that Auburn would have been willing to do it, and I, I think long-term it's probably best – is if you had done what Dion did, if we had literally hired Dion and he had run 
every single person off of the roster and you started with a completely blank slate, brought in an entire new roster. 80, I think they have like four guys that were on their team last year. I, there, there's, I, I know there's only one starter on defense that was there last year. Okay, and so that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. that's – and I don't even know – you know, everybody's really high on Colorado right now. I don't know that at the end of the season, Auburn and Colorado's record are going to look that much different. I think Colorado could get to seven, eight wins. Auburn could get to six, seven wins. So if Colorado goes a little bit below expectation right now for me and Auburn goes a little bit above, they both meet in the middle at seven wins. Now, Colorado had a whole lot more media excitement about it, but that's what you're going to get with Dion, you know, yeah. and you're you're just not going to get that with you. And I don't necessarily know that long term you want the circus every single week. That is really hard to run a program with it being a circus every single week of taking every single, you know, I think that there's a lot of hype right now. People saying, oh, we should hire Dion. Look at what he's doing. I would just pump the brakes. I would wait and see how things are in about four weeks. Even if Auburn is three and four, even if Auburn's three and three, I I feel good about the direction the team's going. I think that the coaching staff is a good staff. I think that the development has been fine, but I think there's just a talent problem. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the portal has gotten worse and worse every single year. I think that it's hard to get a lot of talent out of the portal. I think you can get like one piece, maybe two guys that really transform your team. Otherwise, you're just kind of shuffling names. Yeah. You know, you're you're kind of – I think the offensive line for Auburn, I don't know how many of these guys we would have taken if all of the guys were coming back from last year. Yeah. Like, I think that they are a step up. Or if you up. recruited well in high school yeah. in the first place. Exactly. And so that's what I'm saying. Like, these guys are maybe a step higher than the other guys, maybe just a little bit more aggressive, maybe just a little bit better footwork. But it's not – Night and day, you're like, oh, my goodness, these no. guys are road graders. But looking at offensive lines around the country, do you see a lot of those guys? I mean, there's a reason why they get paid a ton of money in the NFL, and they go in the first round. Yeah, Quarterbacks, offensive line, and pass rushers. Mm. So those are the three things we're looking for. Well, guess what? The NFL is, too. You look at the first five picks almost every year, it's quarterbacks, it's offensive linemen, and it's pass rushers. That's what wins football in 2023. Mm. So you're not just going to have a ton of those guys floating out there because if you did, then they wouldn't go in the top five. It's like running backs. Yeah, You can go get a great – we went and got Brian Batty out of the portal. You can find running backs that grow on trees. It's easy to find a running back. It's hard to find a quarterback, offensive lineman, and pass rusher that changes the game. And so you're going to have to get that out of high school. Yeah, Auburn is an elite enough program that you can identify that talent and bring it in out of high school, but that takes time. You can't say, oh, well, Hugh's been here. Well, he didn't have time to go and get – and even I think that Keldrick Falk, by the time he leaves Auburn, is going to be a guy that could be a first-rounder, but he's a true freshman. Yeah, He's 18 years old. You cannot expect him to just come in and day one be an elite pass rusher and be like, oh, he's not as good as Derrick Brown. Derrick Brown's not that good as a freshman. Yeah, I mean, I, agree. I mean, he was fine, but he was about like Keldrick. Like, well, I mean, you know, Derek Brown, and even in, you know, in 2017, he was. I mean, he was a rotational guy, and like, you know, you remember him from for dropping Adrian Killens on his head. But like, yeah, I agree. Like, no, no one was saying that Derek Brown was the top three player on Auburn's defensive line in 2017. No. Nobody. And so that's what it, like it's hard to get these guys. It's hard to build a roster up. I'm frustrated that the team has not been good for the past couple of years, but you can't hold it against this staff that previous that two other previous administrations did a poor job. They still have to rebuild it, and it's just going to take time. So 
I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to probably be like disappointed on Saturday if we lose by two touchdowns. But at the same time, when you take a step back, you're like, okay, that's just part of it. And hey, if you win, you're ahead of schedule. Yeah. But also, you can't say, oh, we beat Texas A&M. We're going to beat Georgia. We're going to beat LSU, and we're going to the playoff. That's not going to happen either. This is not a playoff team. They're just not right now. Yeah. Now, I would love it if that is played on ESPN of game day right before the college football semifinal of our podcast. They're just not a playoff team right now. But I think it's going to be us talking before the tax lawyer bowl, you know, saying we knew this team wasn't a playoff team. Well, yeah, and I think for the Dion crowd, you look back. Yes, they're three and zero. Well, so is Auburn. Yeah, and I'm not. And I think that if Auburn fans, Auburn fans, put yourself in the position, if Auburn went on the road and beat TCU, yeah, they would have been excited. But the fans would have looked at TCU and in two weeks been like, okay, that team wasn't very good. You go to Nebraska, or they played Nebraska at home. They beat them. Our fans would be like, Nebraska's not good. They're 0 and 2. Yeah. And then, the time. and then you play a team. You know, Auburn doesn't really have a rival that fits this category. <laughs> but let's say we play an in state school. It would be like if Vanderbilt was in state. Yeah. Us. So, so let's say Vanderbilt comes to Auburn. Auburn's a four touchdown favorite. We go to overtime with them and win. Double overtime. Double overtime. The fan base crumbles. Even if you are three and zero, you went to overtime with a team you were a four touchdown favorite over. Oh, and by the way, you're ranked 60th in the country in recruiting. The Auburn fan base would be melting. They would be melting, melting, hitting the panic button if Auburn was having a season like Colorado. So I don't think that Auburn fan. I think Auburn fans need to realize who they are and what they'd be doing if you know. And the reason that they're not going to come off the rails if we're three and three is because okay, recruiting's good. You know, and, and I, I, there's so much more going into it. And, I, you know, I predicted nine wins before the season. I was high. I'm high. You know, I, I was saying that. And I still think that nine wins is a possibility. I don't think that there are that many good teams left. I don't think that our team, it looks like a nine-win team right now. I don't think that at all. But I do think if this team goes three and three, Ole Miss is a winnable game at home. Mississippi State, you should win at home. Vanderbilt, you should easily win in Nashville. Arkansas, very beatable on the road. New Mexico State is horrible. Maybe the worst (laughs) team in college football. And Alabama, okay, they just went to South Florida and won by 10. That is a winnable game, especially at home. It's the Iron Bowl. Auburn has plenty of winnable games left on its schedule, including this Saturday. This is not just us saying, oh, my gosh, Auburn's going to get railed this Saturday. There is obviously a chance to win, but I am saying no matter what happens this weekend, I don't think it really changes my perception of what the future for this season will look like. And sitting here in the third week of September, I would feel better if Auburn was going to Bryant-Denny Stadium this weekend than going to Kyle Field. I mean, genuinely. And now I think Bama's going to get it figured out. I think that Jalen Milrow was their best quarterback option. I don't really know why they decided to try out all the other guys. And obviously, Saban had an issue with Milrow, which is why he didn't put him in against South Florida. Yeah. Similar to Hugh running the offense that he ran against Sanford. Yeah. Saban was like, we're going to win this game. I'm keeping this guy out because he pouted this week. Yeah. They're going to be better than they are right now. But I'm just saying, right now, I've I think we match up better with Alabama. I agree. Similar concern, though, with Alabama. Their defense is good, and our offense. The offense has to get better. The defense has been fine for Auburn. I don't think we're quite as good on defense as everybody thinks we are. You know, Cal's not a very good offense. Yeah. UMass is not, and neither is Sanford. So the fact that the defense has done great keeping people out of the end zone, it's been against bad teams. So I'm going to hold, hit the brakes on the defense just being elite 
but the offense is concerning. I, I completely agree, and we'll we'll be back next week to break down how the offense and defense look against a more quality opponent in Texas A&M. Lots of talent over there. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna be back and we're, we're really just grateful for all you guys listening, downloading the podcast for the 100th time officially. Um, but yeah, I mean, thank you guys so much. We appreciate everything y'all do and War Eagle. War Eagle.